Hello, everyone. What's up? Good morning. Good evening. I don't know when you're listening to this. Right now, it is 7.40 EST in Indiana. We are now on Daylight Savings Time. Take that as you want. We're here with Chap and Teach. Take me back to the 90s, our bi-weekly talk about all things 90s, nostalgia, growing up, and having a good time in the best decade of uh, probably human history. Gentlemen, how's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm so I'm so happy to have our guests here. We got Big Sig, Big Josh Sig. He's a he's a founding father of Sounding Off with me. So it's good to have him and my boy uh, Andrew Eubank. I guess we're going by now. I mean, he's Drew Delicious to me. But uh, uh, great to have these guys. I think uh, we've we've got some some loaded uh, sports knowledge uh, coming to you tonight. So before we introduce our guests tonight, chap, before we get too much into talking about these great people we have on the show let's talk about the topic of the night because it is a big one i want to let the people know we're talking about the 1992 olympic nba dream team and i'm sure everybody's going to have some feelings about it what do you think I, I definitely think so. I mean, everybody, you know, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording about, you know, the, the way that team is kind of viewed now, it's not so much about the team then, but who was left off of it. We're going to get into that. But I think we, 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 we kind of take it for granted. Sometimes we acknowledge that as the greatest sporting basketball team ever assembled in the history of the game. But we're, we're, we're like 30 years removed from this now. But you look at everything that it's impacted. You look at where USA basketball, other than a hiccup in the early 2000s, or, or you know, we we've dominated. We 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 ran with it and never looked back. All right. So since we're talking about the greatest team of basketball people ever assembled, we we assembled the greatest podcast talk quad. Uh, I don't want to say trio. Uh, what was quad? Uh, I don't know. Foursome. It's a menage a trois. No, it's a foursome. We got a foursome of sports knowledge, 90s knowledge. Let's talk with Mr. Drew Eubank. Drew, how you doing tonight? How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you want people to know? Who is Drew Eubank? Well, I, uh, I'm a Logan Sport, Indiana native uh, and a region transplant now. I live in Chesterton, uh, Indiana. I'm the athletic director at Westville High School, which is right in between Chesterton, Valpo, Laporte, and Michigan City. Uh, and I'm the uh, head boys basketball coach there as well, and a degenerate basketball fan, uh, specifically Chicago Bulls fan. Uh, you know, growing up in the '90s, you know, obviously that was a good time to be a Bulls fan. So huge Jordan Pippen fan, Rodman. You know, even Coach, although he's he's not going to get a lot of love tonight, but, uh, you know, love the Bulls and 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 love uh, love the 92 Olympic team. So if you could have one snack from the 90s, we talked about this last week, what would be your 90s snack that you missed the most? So I, I sent after I listened to that, I sent Chap a picture of uh, a snack in my fridge that you'd mentioned. Uh, Dunkaroos. Yes. And I, when I got those, actually my sister uh, brought them up for us and I got so excited and I hit them in the back of the fridge because I didn't want the kids to eat them while they were here. And then I got them out and it's yogurt. So it's, it's, it's not the real. <laughs> well, if you listen to the show again, there's a recipe for making your own Dunkaroos dip if you want. I, yes, I've, I've, I'm going to have to do that. But the, honestly, though, my favorite snack in the 90s was definitely Gushers. Okay. Uh, it's the sour gushers. I could put away four or five boxes of those in a sitting. Love it. 
I've got to say, Drew forgot to mention that he is the son of a radio icon. <laughs> a, a farm radio icon. Uh, yeah, my, my dad, Andy Eubank, was a radio guy in Logan Sport for a lot of years, and now he does Hoosier Ag Today, uh, okay. which is a, an agriculture radio network throughout Indiana, Michigan, Illinois. Uh, yeah. That would I, I switched radio stations because of him. Just FYI. I, I support the Eubank family. When uh, there was some stupid grain report on the radio I was listening to, and I said, no, you give me Andy Eubank or you give me nothing. I don't want to hear about farming unless it's from that sweet, sold voice man. <laughs> I uh, I should probably look into that because there's been a push at our school to like promote more agriculture stuff. So since I teach you know broadcast publications and whatnot, I should – I could I could have them do the the ag show and we could talk to them. This is great. what I do. I bring people yeah. together. Yeah, and that's that'd be right up his alley coming out. And he, I'd tell him to go try some of that pizza and Tipton you guys are always talking about. Well, it's oh, not going to be pizza, Shaq. That's for sure. <laughs> speaking You're of way t- too happy about that. <laughs> speaking of Tipton, let's bring in fellow Blue Devil. I mean, once you're a Blue Devil, always a Blue Devil. So I don't want to say former Blue Devil, but also brother Blue Devil, Josh Ziegler, a Tipton graduate. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing really good. It's a, it's an honor to be on this show with you guys. Um, I've kind of watched you guys grow your, your craft and your ability. And, um, you know, I did sports for a long time, and it's really nice to be able to uh, have friends in the business and come back and be able to, and uh, you know, swap war stories, so to speak. So I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, I'm glad you guys have tons of sports knowledge. I thank you for being here, giving us some time on your evening. Uh, we're going to hit the way, way back machine. We're going to dial up back into 1992, and then we'll get started talking about the Dream Team. Insert this in post. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So we're back, guys. Everybody make it safely through the time warp dial-up machine. I do believe I, I made it. Uh, Drew, Josh, I can see them. I lost my beard on the way, but yeah, I'm good. All right. (laughs) We're all here. So uh, let's first, before we get too far into talking about the actual roster, I feel like when people talk about the 1992 Dream Team, the thing they want to focus on the most is the roster. And it's important. It is hugely significant. But before you can even really talk about the roster, I think you have to talk about why the 1992 Dream Team even being a thing was so uh, such a big deal. Uh, and that's because prior to that, the, the United States only could play college players. There was the Olympics were, uh, amateurs only. Um, so with, when they finally announced that that was happening, like it was a huge deal. Do you guys remember like hearing about it? And like, I mean, I know Josh said you were eight. I think I was like nine or 10. Oh, wait, what year was it? 92. I was, I was six. I, if you ask chap, if you ask chap, I was like 14, 15, uh, at this point, but you were, 1979 i was 12 i was 12 chap good lord anyway do you guys remember being excited about it or how did you feel knowing that the nba players were going to play in the olympics i just remember feeling feeling like um even at that age like the united states doesn't lose in basketball and when we finished with the bronze and soul in 88 um it just seemed like the sports world was like oh my god we got to do something about this to retain our or regain our 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 spot atop the pedestal. So, I mean, I was only eight, but it was like, oh my gosh, they're going to get all these guys together. It's going to be like an NBA all-star game. So I was excited. 
Uh, I was two when they lost in 88. So I don't, you know, it was one of the worst years of my life because of that loss. Um, <laughs> I think his sister different. was born that year too. So that's probably what another reason he ate it. 87, 87. Okay. But, uh, but no, I, I don't remember the announcement, but I remember there being talk of whether or not Jordan was going to play. And he initially wasn't that he, he wanted to not do it because he played in 84 and wanted to allow other guys or, or probably more realistically, he'd just gone through his second or knew he was going to be going through his second NBA finals and wanted time to rest. Uh, so I was excited when Jordan came on board. Uh, you know, that's what locked me into it. And, and my memories of watching the games are more about watching Jordan than anything else. And I think that's probably the same for the teams they played against and a lot of the fans that were there, but uh, you know, it was, my excitement hinged on Jordan playing, not so much NBA players playing, uh, but you know, that, that created that situation. Do you guys remember what did the roster look like before he committed to play? Because I remember, you know, I, most of what I know about the dream team is what I've learned through documentaries and history and stuff like that. And there were a lot of guys who weren't interested if Michael was going to play there was all the talk was Isaiah going to make like, how was this team going to be constructed? And do you guys recall like who was committed or who was like leaning to play before he even decided to play? I don't think they announced that until the official roster was really done. Like there was a lot of rumor and there was a lot of discussion of who was going to play, but they didn't ever officially announce anyone until they had uh, unveiled the full roster. They, they announced 10 at, at once. Um, and then later was an add on. And I think it was either David Robinson or Clyde Drexler was an add on. Uh, they had, they had two at the end, but they, they announced the, the initial 10 with Jordan on it. So there were, there was a lot of rumor, but it wasn't, uh, you know, a slow rollout or anything. So I remember being in like fifth grade and we were all sitting around discussing who we thought our, our dream team would be at the time. Um, because I mean, that was just what we did. Cause it was, it was, I mean, even at that age, I was really hyped up trying to guess, you know, it'd be just like right now, if we did one right now, everybody would argue about who's going to be on it or whatever. But like at the time, I remember that being a big deal. Cause you know, I was in fifth grade, didn't have anything else going on. What was I going to do? Sit around and talk about basketball with my friends. Isaiah Thomas aside, can you guys think of anybody in 91, 92 who you're like, definitely should have been on that team? That wasn't? Yeah. Let's, I wanna, let's, let's go over who's on the roster, just for those people who may or may not know or remember before we get into who wasn't on there. So let's talk about the roster. And I have them in alphabetical order. I didn't go by position. Uh, I could maybe shuffle it if you guys wanted me to, but... Uh, number one, Charles Barkley, the round mound of right. rebound. And, and Charles Barkley in 92 was like, uh, I would say, you know, th this is the point when NBA is going through a golden era. Would you guys agree with that? This was like the golden era of NBA. Like you had a, like, you know, your VHS tapes of NBA stars. Do you guys have those? Barkley had an MVP at some point in the nineties. Right. And was that early nineties? Next year is 93. Yeah. I believe Barkley's the only player in history to win the uh, most valuable uh, player award in a series in the finals in which his team lost. He didn't win. He didn't win? Jordan, he won the MVP for the year. Oh, okay. Jordan won the MVP for the finals. Uh, and then uh, it was either Elgin Baylor or Jerry West that won the finals MVP losing in the finals. Oh, okay. I had the wrong. And Charles Barkley was kind of ripped at the time. Like he was like, they called, they called him fat or whatever, but I was watching. He was half the size he is. I now. was watching the video today and, and I was like, oh my God, he was pretty just yoked up. 
Um, yeah, that that was that was definitely peak Charles Barkley. That uh, it, about a two year stretch where he was in great shape and he was a beast for those two years. All right, so after Charles Barkley in alphabetical order, we have Larry Bird. Um, we'll get back to Larry Bird and Magic after we go through the roster. I this was this was a back end Larry Bird. Like, of course, let's talk, I mean, yeah. This 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 was an aging out like just. I mean, still one of the most prolific shooters, but it's his his body was letting him down. And the crazy thing about Bird at that time is that yes, his back had uh, kind of kind of went out on him, but he was only thirty five. So I mean he, and he only he uh, averaged about eighteen minutes a game in the Olympics. But yeah, you you weren't getting peak mid eighties Larry Bird who could do everything. Um, so Patrick Ewing, next up Patrick Ewing, center. Um, uh, I I think this is one of the ones that if I were going to question, if I were going to question a position, this is one of the ones that I question. Why? I think there are other centers that could have taken. I, I like. I mean, we'll get to it, but I think there's. A- I look at it this way because you look at the Knicks, especially during the early '90s. And mm-hmm. if if Jordan's not there, the Knicks are in the Eastern are in the finals, and they're they're they've got a good chance of winning a championship. Patrick Ewing was arguably the best big man in that time. So I I mean, if you want to make an argument against it, I'd be real curious in who you're going to say should easily supplant. Patrick Ewing. I think it might more or less just be an opinion-based thing, but I mean, oh, staff, sure. yeah, I mean, I don't know who you're going to sit there and say, this team deserves so-and-so more than deserve Patrick Ewing. You got it. I, I really can't stand Patrick Ewing and it makes me unhappy to see his name on this team, but watching the games, he, he was better than David Robinson. He was, he was really good in those games and kind of fit for the style they were playing. So as much as I don't like him, I've, I've got to stand by Ewing on the team. I, I hate the Knicks. He's I a native him. of Jamaica, too. Don't forget that he's a native of Jamaica. I know he's a naturalized citizen, but. Yeah, throw him off. <laughs> he's done. Well, if you want to know, Chad, I think Hakeem could have, you could have put Hakeem Olajuwon in his place. He wasn't a citizen, right? Hakeem wasn't? He was on the 96 team, I believe. He was, that's right. But same same deal. He shouldn't have but been the on same deal. He's from he's from I don't know which country, but he's not from over the United States natively. Well, then that explains why he wasn't. I was just like I was thinking centers, you know, centers of the nineties that were playing in ninety two. I always thought Hakeem was slightly better than Patrick Ewing, but hey, man, Hakeem uh, always needs to remember to send Michael Jordan a Christmas card because without that retirement, he doesn't have rings. Um. <laughs> uh, next up, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson made the list, and this was this was a big deal for other reasons too, because Magic Johnson had just missed the whole season because of his HIV announcement in '91. So the fact that Magic played not only was a big news story because of the Dream Team, but it was also a big story because of an HIV positive player playing in the Olympics. I, I'm going to say something controversial here. Magic Johnson is my third best basketball player of all time. Okay, what's controversial about that? I just, I mean, about that. No, like I think he gets slept on quite a bit. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, Kobe and all this age. stuff. Like, I mean, it's it's MJ, it's LeBron, and it's <laughs> an inappropriate joke. <laughs> oh my gosh! Hope the kids are are ear muffing it right now. Um, all right, so you said what? What <laughs> you think he gets slept on? I mean, he did the sleeping in. I mean, we know that, but. Um, I don't, I mean, Magic is good. I, he's in my top five of all time, probably, if I actually sat down and did it. But I don't, 
I don't think the only thing he might get slept on about is the the lack of longevity of his career. But in '91, you know, they thought that was a death sentence, uh, HIV. So he had to do what he had to do. Well, well, I forgot that I'm actually talking with people who have brains, and I'm usually surrounded by idiots who want to shit on you know quality players like Magic. So forgive me. No, oh, no, you're fine. I I think it's hard. Like anytime you do a, a top five, top ten of all time, like it's not necessarily controversial, but I don't think you'll ever come to a consensus. I think that's one of those things in sports that it's just not possible to do but if that's where you have him i mean that's reasonable andrew all right andrew what do you think um if magic isn't in your top 10 you probably don't understand basketball yeah i mean it's the only argument you can make for magic being outside the top five is the total body of work because he only played 12 and a half years i guess but that's the same jordan played you know i mean his career seems unfinished because you know, in 91, he, he is forced out of the league after making an NBA finals. Uh, so you, you got robbed of probably four or five more really high level years. Uh, but yeah, I don't think you can make a case for him being outside the top five all time. I can say, I can guarantee he's in my top 10. I would have to sit down and really think about if he's definitely in my top five. Cause my top three are pretty locked up. Who's your top three of all time. Yeah. Jordan. Oh. Bird. Oh. And then I don't know. I'd have to think for sure. It would depend on the day. But Jordan. You don't have LeBron in the top three? No. No. LeBron's. We're not. We're not talking about the the 2013 Dream Team or whatever. We're talking about 1992. Okay. <laughs> All right. So after Magic, we got Michael Jordan. Obviously, he deserves to be there. I mean, there's no doubt that Jordan needs to be there. Best player of his era, probably of all time. the thing that I think surrounds the dream team and everything that we learn now is just how much power he had to play in it. And especially if you watch like the, the last dance and all that stuff, he's Michael is very half-assed on if he had any impact on Isaiah being on the team or not. It depends on the day. If he really wants to say, you know, how much, how much power he actually had, but this, this whole, this whole project, this whole idea was hinged on him. Everybody building this team it had to have Michael involved. And if he didn't get involved, like it just didn't seem to fit. So uh, we, we, we talk about this dream team, but really I think Michael Jordan's existence in this is why this is what it is. Well, the, the idea that there was, I, I would guess there was no debate about Isaiah making the team for many reasons, but number one is it was Rod Thorne who picked the team and that's the GM in, uh, of the bulls who drafted Michael Jordan. He was with Jordan. He probably hated Isaiah just as much as Jordan did. Uh, you know, in, in one of the documentaries where Jordan asked who was going to be on the team and Thorne said, the guy you're thinking of isn't. You know, so, I mean, he knew that he wasn't getting Jordan if he had Isaiah on the team. Right. So, you know, it was probably a Jordan-centric decision, but there are a lot of guys that probably don't play if Isaiah's on the team. I was, I was going to say, I think Jordan takes a lot of heat and takes like the center of that because that's kind of what the media does. They want to create these narratives. But I think that, I mean, I've heard Bird say he didn't want to play with Isaiah. Uh, I've heard like lots of people didn't like Isaiah. I think the video of him walking off the court looking kind of shifty and ducking down right before the the team was announced, I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, I just think it was his personality more than just Michael didn't want to play with him. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the late 80s, early 90s Pistons weren't exactly the most uh, friendly uh, team to their opponents. 
And uh, Jordan and Pippen and those guys, those Bulls, the pre-Rodman Bulls, they took beatings from the Pistons in the playoffs in those years. And there was this animosity between those guys. And I think Jordan blamed Isaiah as being like the ringleader that led to Rodman and Lambeer being the clowns that they were. And if you know Michael Jordan, you know he never lets go of anything. And I think that for Michael Jordan, it was really a balancing act because he and Chuck Daly, the head coach of the Pistons, became really good friends while he vilified Isaiah Thomas. So I guess I don't really understand where Michael was coming from. But you you hate the player, but you don't really have a problem with the coach. And, in fact, you're playing golf with him every day in Barcelona. That's where I have a problem with Jordan. Well, and Jordan's animosity. That's a very good point. But his animosity all started with the was it the '85 All Star Game when Thomas let a freeze out of him, uh, and or or at least Jordan thought he did the alleged and, freeze out. <laughs> yeah, and watching the documentary, you know, I you read about that in in the '90s and early 2000s, and it was like, okay, did, but did that really bother him for all those years? And then after watching the documentary, like, yeah there's no chance that he's letting something like that, whether it was real or not, uh, escape his mind. So that's where I think that all come, came from. Uh, you know, and he played with Pistons later on in his career in Chicago. So I don't think it was necessarily a Detroit thing so much as Isaiah was this Chicago guy who had it out for Jordan when he was a rookie or, or second year guy. And so Jordan just hated him forever from, from then on. And unfortunately I had to follow suit. How much, I mean, how much do you think that is? Cause you mentioned Isaiah being a, a Chicago guy and with Jordan coming in with, I mean, Jordan was a, he was a force to be reckoned with as soon as he came in the league. Do you think there was like a jealousy aspect there of Isaiah? And that's kind of what started the whole thing was kind of like, Hey, 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 you know, wait your turn kind of thing. So Isaiah started this, uh, it, it was an Isaiah issue and he's told the story that he came home to Chicago after the season one year and his nephew was wearing a Jordan Jersey. And that I think had a lot to do with Isaiah's hatred of Jordan early in Jordan's career it was like, you know, I'm, I'm Chicago. I'm this Chicago guy and my own family members are wearing a Jordan Jersey. Uh, so I blame it on Isaiah. I'm with I'll him. Tell you- I'm with him, but I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, the one thing we can say about Jordan is, like, he, he's the GOAT, but he's also, like, the GOAT of pettiness, too. Like, I don't think there's anything in that guy's career that he hasn't that he, that he hasn't held on to. Are you saying you're not petty? Oh, I'm extraordinarily petty, but I'm not the GOAT of anything. <laughs> right, I just wanted to check, you know, because I, I, you know me. I don't like to, to say some, somebody else is doing something wrong if I do the same thing myself. Oh, no, I'm very much petty, and I'm very honest about it. And I I, I will – I mean, I, Sig and I, we were down in Atlanta, and I I was getting petty about stuff. Trust me, I, I, I've got that. <laughs> well, I've got an Isaiah question. Are we are we circling back to Isaiah or – Yeah, well, let's, this? Let, we can come back to Isaiah in a minute because I want to get through – let's get through the roster real quick. So next on the roster, Carl Malone. The Carl Malone is actually a scumbag. Like, if you really – they didn't know that '92 though, chap. Yeah, they didn't. Like know. Carl Malone is actually a despicable human being. <laughs> Not a good guy, no. 
yeah, but we but again, this is like we didn't have all the information in nineteen ninety two that we have now. If you go based on his basketball stats, he probably deserves a spot on that roster. For for me, Carmelo's fame came after this. I, I didn't I mean I wasn't recognized as him being the force that like a tremendous basketball player in the early nineties. I remember those Utah Jazz going against the Bulls in the mid nineties. Like that's where Carl Malone was. But the, in ninety eight, in ninety eight, he hit by then he had lost his ability to beat you off the dribble. He was six nine, was built like was like a bodybuilder and can take you off the, off the dribble and slam it home like as good as anybody. That's why he got na- nicknamed the mailman. But he also had that jumper, and that's what made him so lethal early in his career. He also had the worst signature basketball shoes of all time, the L.A. Gear uh, <laughs> catapults. Shout out to any sneakerheads who remember those. You like the Olajuwon Spaldings? <laughs> I mean, I'd take those over Ooh. some catapults. <laughs> what you so know about Jack- some shacks? <laughs> Chap, for reference, though, in 92, Malone was first-team All-NBA. So, he, I mean, he was top five in the league at that point. I got you. I got you. I, well, also at the same time, too, keep in mind, uh, not a lot of Utah Jazz games on in the middle of Indiana. So, uh, it, it was very much whatever the primetime game was or on NBC or the Saturday-Sunday afternoon games, or it was uh, Pacers Nation in the old Chap House. Yeah. So after Carl Malone, we got uh, an NBA Jam favorite, Chris Mullen. Use him every time I play NBA Jam. Him and Tim Hardaway. Tim How H- is that team effective in NBA Jam? Please enlighten me. You just bomb it from three all day long, and it goes in every time. Not to mention Tim Hardaway has the speed, and they both hit threes. Yeah. Mullen's, Mullen's three-point percentage in the Olympics was unbelievable, if you look it up. Um, 14 and 26. Not bad. What was it? I'm still haunted by his shaved head in the 2000 Pacer team. That still scares me. <laughs> yeah, he looked like he was sick. Oh, that he did. Team he looked sicker time. than Rick Smith, though. <laughs> Rick Smith looked like a cancer patient. He did, man. You're not wrong. So after Chris Mullen, we got another uh, another forward, Scotty Pippen. He is on one right now. Scotty Pippen is going off the rails, but 92. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about 1992 Scotty Pippen. So he said in, a, in the documentary that he didn't believe that he should have been on the team. He thought that there was other people more deserving than him. Uh, but ask him today. If he still feels that way, he'll probably say they're all gay. And what, I, I don't know what his deal more is. More racist. <laughs> don't forget racist. Yeah. Seen a trend here with you chap in the last couple of weeks. What? <laughs> no, I mean, Pippen was, uh, this was right before Pippen became Pippen. You know, he was really, really good. He was second team all NBA in 92. But, you know, I, I think Jordan retiring did a lot for him becoming, yep. you know, the guy we thought he was. But if you watch the first Croatia game uh, that they played, that was the one game in the Olympics where Scottie Pippen played like Scottie Pippen, like just a complete animal on defense. And and that's why he was on the team more than offense. He, he was probably the best perimeter defender in the NBA in the early nineties. He was ridiculous. When the how, many time, how many times was he named all defense? Uh, I, I don't know, but I would guess seven, eight times. Cause I mean, he's one of the 50 greatest players for a reason. We're not, we're not sitting here to, to shit on Scottie Pippen. But yeah. e- egos are, are, are egos are a hell of a drug, man. I mean, <laughs> well, and that's why. 
you know, the Croatia game was so important to, to Scotty and Jordan, like the, the Kukoc storyline of, you know, they were bringing Kukoc over to the Bulls and they were they were going to make a point that Kukoc wasn't all that great. So, like, Jordan and Scotty just went after him. They wanted him. to embarrass him. They yeah. they went after Kukoc and they made it as, a, as, a, as their goal to embarrass him when he was coming over to the team. Well, for Scotty, it was extremely personal because we all know Scotty signed the worst contract in the history of sports. And he felt like uh, Gary Krause at the time was holding back money to give to Kukoc once he decided to come to America. So Scotty took it extremely personal. In that game, the first Croatia game where they held Kukoc to four points, he and Jordan just just were in his jock the whole night. I felt bad for him, even as an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So, so Pippen was five for nine from the field with nine assists, and he had five steals. Jordan had eight steals, and of their 13, I think 11 were directly off of Kukoc. Good Lord. So, I mean, they absolutely destroyed him in that game. And, and that that was an interesting Jordan game, too, because he wasn't really that good other than the eight steals. He was 9 of 22, and he forced a ton because Jerry Krause called Kukoc the European Michael Jordan. And, you know, I think he might have taken it even more personally because he's so petty than Pippen. <laughs> Yeah. Because there was this idea that that my boss thinks this guy's better than me, uh, and he wound up really not playing that great of a game because he was he was pressing a little bit to to stick it to Kukoc. But the eight steals were pretty amazing in twenty eight minutes. Right. All right. So after Scottie Pippen, we have David Robinson, the Admiral. I mean, there's not much That's, to really say about. Uh, he was great center. I mean, he was a great player. He was pretty young at the time, I believe, but. Uh, the fact that he went to Navy, I feel like you got to let him on the Olympic team for that. <laughs> Maybe this counted as one of his years of service or something. There you so. go. <laughs> what I remember about David Robinson is the quadruple double that he had. That included like 10 blocks, 10 steals, some ungodly amount of rebounds. And then he also had the 70 point game, didn't he? Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about, yeah, one of the greatest big men to ever play really. <clears throat> and also, and then, go, go ahead, Ben. No, nope, I'm done. I was gonna say also one one of the more interesting signature shoe lines. If you're a, a sneakerhead, like uh, he has, he had those Nike pumps, the first Nike pumps, and uh, that's what the Woody Harrelson wore in White Men Can't Jump. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's a little sneaker history for you. not that anybody likes sneakers, but he he had maybe the second or third best shoe in the Olympics. I thought. I'd have to remember. I, I Jordan, Jordan's were sevens were awesome. Like I mean, but I don't yeah. remember anybody else's. Did he, Pippen have his own the, line uh, yet or no? Pippen didn't. Have, he was wearing flights. Yeah, but uh, Robinson. Well, Pippen's '96 Olympic shoes are pretty rad. That's yeah. That's when he got his own shoe. But the the Robinson ones, he he was like the only guy that didn't have a solid white shoe. He had like a, a black midsole, and it was just kind of a different look from everybody else. Almost looked like reverse spats. Um, so after David Robinson, we have another fantastic Utah player in John Stockton. John Stockton to me is like the last traditional point guard. Like he, he, he was a pass first guy. Um, Nash was the next guy who kind of revolutionized the point guard position, but John Stockton, like is there, I mean, obviously now we have better athletes, but leading up into through the nineties, was there a better passer? Was there a better point guard? You mean before then up to then? Cause I mean, like what about pistol Pete? 
Or, or there's that guy, Magic. Or Magic was a great passer, too. People forget. Yeah. There's Chap sleeping on yeah. Magic again. Chap sleeping on Magic. Cheese <laughs> um, cookie. Jesus. My my favorite thing about John Stockton in the 1992 Olympics was, and if you go back and watch the documentary, they'll show you that he was able to walk through the crowd and just chill and like say hi to people, and they had no idea who he was. And like everybody else was jealous of him for that because like they they couldn't do that. He's the only one who had love, autonomy amongst any of them. Yeah, I would love to see the full John Stockton uh, video footage that he took, where he so where he's going around and he's like yes. they're wearing a shirt with his picture on it, and he's like, "Hey, have you met any of the guys with the dream team?" And they're like, "No, no, no," and he's like, "Okay." The one lady who who's your favorite player, and the lady says John Stockton. Didn't know she was talking to John Stockton. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Just amazing. Yeah. But Stockton, Stockton should not have been in the Olympics. Uh, Jordan broke his leg in the lead up to the Olympics. Uh, a month before they played their first Olympic game, Jordan broke his leg, uh, stuck his knee into his leg, which they said was a freak accident in practice. That's why Stockton only played 29 minutes the whole tournament. Um, but if you know John Stockton's signature move, it's setting a screen and sticking his knee out. So I've, I've scoured the internet because I'm sure this is the way it went down. But I have a feeling that Jordan set a screen on Stockton and turned his knee into his leg and broke it. Uh, but they said it was an accident. So that's that's my theory. I can't find anything. You think there's another conspiracy that, that John Stockton got buried because. My... Yeah. Yeah. Jordan broke him. Um, moving on Clyde Drexler I feel like I feel like Clyde Drexler gets forgotten about from the era that he played in because I mean to me he was like the the poor man's Michael Jordan kind of like you know he he was basically the same type of player you know he was supposed to Clyde the glide he was all about dunks and like he played the same position everything but then like Jordan just overshadowed him so much well, he also played out West. He played in Portland. Who the hell was watching Portland games? Like you never saw anything. I didn't know Clyde Drexler until he went to Houston and they were winning playing in the finals. Like that, that's when I learned who Clyde Drexler was and you'd lock, you watch the last dance. And when that was the comparison, like, Hey, Clyde Drexler is supposed to be Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan torched him, hit so many threes in that finals game, just killed him. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of teams get forgotten about because of Michael Jordan, and the 92 Blazers were an extremely good team that uh, really did challenge the Bulls in the finals, if I remember correctly. I mean, you had – because it wasn't just Drexler. I mean, you had um, Terry Porter and Clifford Robinson, Duckworth, uh, uh, Kersey, I believe, was on that team too. And those guys played bully ball, and uh, they were fun to watch. I think Danny Ainge was with was he, was Danny Ainge with them or no? He played for Phoenix. Yeah, he was with Phoenix. But uh, when they, they made another finals too, didn't they? Did they they got beat by the Pistons one of those two years? I yeah. think so. Either eighty nine or ninety. So they they were legit. But you know the other person that Jordan broke in the Olympics was Drexler. You know the combination of the NBA Finals and the Olympics and Drexler was never the same guy. The only other year he had an All NBA team was when Jordan was playing baseball. Uh, so, I mean, he, he really fell off quite a bit from the 92 season on. Well, the last, Jordan's oh, out here killing people, man, uh, 
moving on to the last person on the roster, and I also think is probably going to be really the most controversial person on the roster, is the one collegiate include. They included one collegiate player because of the tradition they were trying to keep, you know, the history of. It's always been collegiate players, so they wanted one. And they went with, from Duke University, Christian Leitner. I hate Christian Leitner. I don't hate the guy. I don't hate him. Yeah, why, why do you hate him? Well, for one, he went to Duke. Okay, and that's fair. Cause I, I hate Duke. I, I hate Duke. I um, love him because he put Kentucky to bed in 92. That's fair. That is fair. Like we were talking, though, like he wasn't the most deserving college player to be on this roster. No, I, I think there's – I think how do you not put Shaq in that spot? Drew even said Grant Hill. It's Shaq or Grant Hill. The Leitner shouldn't even be a thought beyond those two guys. Yeah, I, and honestly, I Big said Bobby Hurley, and and that wouldn't be a bad guy because you look at who your point guards are. You know, you don't know Stockton's going to break his leg, but Magic, who knows going into the Olympics what Magic can give you. You know, he hasn't played in over a year. He's he's putting God knows what in his body every day, like maybe another point guard instead of a, a third string post who you know is not going to play. Right. So maybe Hurley's the right guy in retrospect, even though he didn't have much of an NBA career either. And in that main documentary that we've all seen about the Dream Team, they kind of poo-pooed uh, Bobby Hurley's um, ability to uh, knife through the uh, Dream Team defense and when the college players beat them in a scrimmage that one time. And he's like, and some somebody said, you know, Bobby Hurley only played two years in the NBA. Well, well, yeah, that's true. But Bobby Hurley nearly died in a car accident. Yeah, he was in that a time. car crash. He would have, he would have been. I don't know if he'd have been an NBA all-star, but he would have been a serviceable point guard for several years, I'm guessing, if he would have been healthy. Bobby Hurley was very good. Bobby Hurley was my brother's favorite college player at the time. Like He even bought like a Kings jersey just because he loved Bobby Hurley and Duke. But let's uh, Christian Leitner deserved a technical foul just for walking on the court with that bowl cut. Look, look, can we just agree <laughs> with that? I mean... Bowl cut. I I am I am uh, guilty of having a major bowl cut back then. Same, so. but like every time I see Christian Leitner, it reminds me. So I don't want to. I don't want to see him. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I agree with that. Christian Leitner deserves a lot more than a technical foul. Yeah, he um, played 13 years in the NBA, made an All Star team. Just saying. I don't even think he was the best player on his team. Like you guys said, like Hur- uh-huh. Hurley and Grant Hill, uh, and then obviously I think Shaq was better. Uh, at the time, though, if you asked me in 1992 how I felt about Shaq, I actually did not like Shaq at the time. I thought, he like, as I've gotten older, I appreciate his game way more. But at the time, I was like, all he does is just stand under the basket and dunk it. Like, that's how hard is that? that takes the- and nobody else is doing it like him. Well, I understand now. But, like, you know, as a fifth grader, I was like, this is stupid. I don't like him. You weren't a fifth grader. You were, like, in junior high. I remember walking through the cafeteria line in fifth grade talking about Shaq. So, yeah, in 1988. Anyway, um, any other any other roster changes that you guys think should have been made? The biggest. So you, Drew, you want to come back to the Isaiah oh, yeah. thing? You you said you had a question. So so I, well, so here here's kind of how I looked at the roster. Like Leitner, obviously a college guy, take him or leave him. Bird Magic were not picked for their current abilities, but more. You know, those were the guys that started shifting the NBA to a global product. So I think that was, you know, this was Bird's last hurrah in basketball. And then Magic didn't play again until 95, 96, I think, when he came back for 30 games or whatever. 
um, and still put up pretty good numbers, by the way. But uh, so I, the rest of the guys, the other nine guys, uh, were all all NBA players that year. And back then, there were only two all NBA teams. So, Chap, who do you think that the one all NBA guy to get left off was? Is Isaiah? No. I, that's kind of the the hindsight now. Everybody thinks Isaiah was right on the border. Isaiah didn't make his last All NBA team was in '87. Oh wow! So Isaiah was, and Isaiah was out of the league two years after this. So he was he was on the down. So, so is Isaiah's argument? No, no. Is Isaiah's argument the same thing as Magic and Birds? Like, hey, my my record should put me on this team, not where I currently am, but what I've what I've meant to the NBA. Is that the, is that the merit that he's trying to stand on? Is that the argument? He has he has no argument. There's no argument for him being on this team. He, he's got nothing to do with the NBA being a global brand. You know, he he wasn't he was a really good player, but he wasn't a face of the league. In 92, I have it here somewhere. In, in 92, Isaiah, uh, crap. Uh, he averaged, I think it was 17, 17 points and like seven assists. Oof. Uh, so if, you, if you're looking for a point guard to distribute, he's not the guy. Nor is he a uh, scoring one. Right. And, and so there, there were 13, he was 13th in the league in assists, uh, assists per game. And, and some of the guys that were better than him that, like Mark Price is one that I think would have made more sense on this team than Isaiah. So Mark who, who, Price. Who was average, the All NBA player who was left off? Uh, Tim Hardaway. Okay. So and I think he's got maybe the best case for wanting to be on the team. He averaged twenty three and ten in ninety two. Wow. And shot thirty four percent from three, which doesn't sound good, but at that point, right. wasn't a wasn't a bad. Uh, three-point percentage yeah that's a sharpshooter uh, in 90 in 92 <laughs> yeah yeah and then mark price averaged 17 and 7 in 92 17 and 10 in 91 and was a career 40 percent three-point shooter wow so those are the two guys that i think as guards you can make a really good case for getting snubbed i i was gonna try and make a reggie miller case just to make chap happy but I, yeah I don't like. I love Reggie, but I don't see how you could. I don't see who he's going to take the place. He of. was fine in '96. He got his gold. When he, his numbers in '96 were way better. He he didn't start really shooting the ball well until about '94. So you know when they moved the three point line uh, into that's the '92 '93 Knicks. They they they'll they'll tell you Reggie shot pretty well. Ask, but him. not during the year. I, you know, I, I appreciate that, Drew, that you completely debunked the whole Isaiah Thomas thing because that's been the narrative for 30 years is that Isaiah Thomas was the biggest snub off this team when you clearly just listed, like, where did you say he was in assists? 11th, 12th, 13th, what did you say 13th. it was? 13th. 13th. What are we doing here? I mean. Yeah, but we're not, giving, we're not giving Isaiah the same grace as we're giving Magic and Larry. And I really feel like, no offense, Drew, but your pro Bulls bias is shining through. I think that if you go back to Colangelo and Thorne and Daly, if they were going to add one guy that wasn't on there, they would tell you it would be Isaiah. I, I just I, – I, the, the magic and bird thing, I just don't think he compares at that time, you know, with the whole global brand. I agree. And, as important as they were in getting out of the, the drug culture of the seventies. 
so I think there was a nod with with Bird and Magic, and, and they're both top ten guys all time, and Isaiah's not. So th- there's it's just I don't think he matches up there. Uh, you know, the best case for Isaiah is, is if this happens in '88, he's a lock. You know, so I think he's just it was an unfortunate situation for him where he wasn't the same player that he was when they won titles in 89 and 90. And and you couple that with the fact that you got to go spend two months with these guys and pretty much everybody hates Isaiah. So I I feel like he really wasn't as close as he makes it out to be to being on the team. I think that point right there is the what really kept him off of the team and the fact that people didn't want to spend a lot of time with him in a hotel in Spain. <laughs> like That's fair. I mean, I, I understand it's a team thing, but these guys are taking their off season to do it. Right. Like, so they're not wanting to, have, they don't want it to be miserable the whole time and then come right back into the NBA season. Uh, and I think it's hard too, especially like you can't have the reputation that you have as Isaiah and kind of being that asshole during the season and, and being what the, the the Pistons were considered a dirty team and they had that persona. And now you're going to sit there and say, Hey, let's go spend the summer together and go play basketball and be all one world like that. That wasn't going to happen because at the end of the day, like I think you could look at guys and, and that's, what's different with the era now versus then is like, those guys had real rivalries. The Knicks and the Pacers weren't hanging out in the off season. They weren't managed by the same people. Like it just didn't happen that way. The, the, the 90s basketball was, if I don't like you on the court now, George, I would say uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson aside, like if, if you had a beef with somebody on the court, that was real. Let's talk about, though, too, this is the Olympics. And this kind of segues into another topic I wanted to talk about a little bit is like, you know, at the time they're worried about how the United States is going to look on the global stage. And is Isaiah Thomas the person you want representing your country? Uh, I know that there was big concerns about Charles Barkley and how he was going to represent as the ugly American. And a couple of times he, he said some things that, you know, made news sound bites because he was being Charles Barkley. Right. And he didn't care. That That's the great thing about Charles Barkley. Like it's not an act like Charles Barkley is Charles Barkley. And he's been unapologetic the entire time. Yeah. And I love him for, I mean, I love that he says, I mean, I don't always agree with everything he says, right? Like I, I don't think he always says the right thing, but I respect that he's willing to say what he thinks. Like I respect that, you know, I think, we need people to just be honest sometimes and stop being what I don't but know. he he was a wild card to take back in ninety two, right, Sig? I sure. mean, you're taking the loudmouth uh, a rebound guy here, and you're gonna go go put him on an international stage where all the news media is. Yeah, and I think he threw an elbow at a guy from Angola when they were beating him by a hundred in the first round. So that was a really rocky start for him. But but really, honestly, like, and the documentary talks about this, the one that I watched uh, most recently that. He was like he became the face of the United States men's basketball team because he was the only one who was willing to go out amongst the people after the games or after their practices. And he was really approachable, really down to earth. But the rest of those guys just wanted to stay out of the limelight. They didn't want to go out in it. So Barkley kind of became the de facto spokesman for the team. So that's why he was all over the press because he was the only one giving sound bites. Yeah. And, but I agree. Yeah, definitely true. Definitely true. Uh, I, I like Barkley, but I, I, he's talking about Angola. I love the quote where he's like, I don't know anything about Angola, but Angola's in trouble. 
that's <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite quotes uh, from from him. Who would have thought that Barkley would have, was willing to go out and be the face of the franchise? Kind of, so that if you if you'd put money on who was going to be before the thing, you would not have picked Barkley. I don't think. In hindsight, the thing is we've seen his career kind of go the way that it has and the way he is with the media. Like he's very much like a man of the people. Like I think he he's very relatable to a lot of people. And I think so it kind of makes sense in hindsight, but you're right back then who would have thought it was going to be him. Uh, maybe David Robinson, because he served time in the military, kind of has that, you know, respect factor kind of thing. Like he maybe, was kind of the boy scout of the 12. Yeah. He would have been like the ambassador. If he was going to be friendly out amongst people, um, that kind of stuff, that would have been my, probably my guess. Yeah. Stockton maybe if people recognized him. Do what? Stockton. Maybe if people recognized if people him, who he was. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit earlier. Do you think Chuck Daly was the right coach for this team? Do you think that was the the correct pick? I'm sure Drew's going to say no because Drew. No, I. I don't think Phil Jackson. No, I, I. It didn't matter at all. I don't think. Uh, from everything you've read and, and seen on the documentaries, it seems like he handled the the lead up to the Olympics as well as anybody could have letting the college kids basically beat the, the pro team or beat the dream team was probably the right thing to do. And not a lot of guys would have done that uh, from an ego standpoint. Um, but I, you know, I don't think it mattered who coached that team. They were going to go kill everybody anyway. I think the thing that you hear about with Chuck Daly though, is like everybody is very, they speak highly of him, like regardless of him coaching the Pistons or whatever, like players respected him. And regardless of, I, I agree with you, Drew, that team was going to go slaughter whoever they played anyway. But I think at the same time too, you do need the right person to kind of manage all the head cases that are there, all the egos. And like you just said, letting a college team embarrass millionaire pro players. I don't know another coach that would have done that, nor let that information come out. Or, or, or make it come out. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, that story doesn't get out if he doesn't let it get out. And he, right. he wanted it to get out at the time. Yeah. I, think- I, I don't know a lot of other coaches who would have done that. Does a Pat Riley do that? Absolutely not. I think well, Coach Kane was an assistant on that team, and he admits that Daly did it on purpose. He made no adjustments in that game whatsoever. So, but the yeah. one thing about Chuck Daly is that he kind of had this uh, debonair uh, attitude, kind of about him. He always, you know, his image was very important to him. So, um, the fact that he was always well kept and you know was always wearing a suit and always kept his hair perfect, he kind of, you know, we are a type of, uh, we do have a type of superficiality in our. Um, in our uh, our culture as Americans, so I kind of he kind of fit the he kind of fit the he he fit into the suit so to speak. But if you look at statistically, I mean, who's to say they wouldn't have won by any more or any less if someone else was the coach? I mean, they dominated so much. Right. Well, I think him going out and playing golf with Jordan helped the the whole thing too. Like the fact that they were able to go play golf and like the day that he made the schedule around the golf schedule, like he made practice schedule based around their playing golf. Like that kept Jordan, <clears throat> kept Jordan happy. And you, if you have an unhappy Jordan on that team, you're going to have, a, everybody is unhappy. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? You, you've got the, the golden goose there. You've got to keep him happy. And I think also too, 
you know, coming off, you know, the, the, the rough patch that Jordan had with the, with the, with the uh, Pistons and everything like that. I don't know if Jordan has that respect or that relationship with Chuck Daly without the golf without, I mean, that that's probably a friendship or a relationship that grew out of that because Jordan probably had no desire to be around daily other than, Hey, we're on the dream team. And they like golf. Yeah. Um, Drew, Drew, do you know who extended the olive branch first, whether it was Daly or Jordan? Because they seem like the odd couple when it comes to they ended up, you know, you know, Daly wanted his head in the playoffs those years, and then and now they're golf buddies. So how did that happen? Do you have any idea? So Daly was going to be the coach of the dream team before the roster was set. Okay. And apparently Rod Thorne was prepared to – set up a meeting or, or whatever. And when he talked to Jordan about it, Jordan never once mentioned daily coaching. So he, I, I don't know if there was just a, a respect that existed. Uh, daily wasn't the guy that was putting Jordan on the floor exactly. So maybe he didn't really care. Uh, but it didn't seem like it was ever an issue for either one of them to, to be on the same team. Well, that covers all my notes. So, if there whatever else you guys want to talk about, we can talk about it. But uh, we've hit. You, on- you've got a question on here, and I think it's interesting. Is it possible that any other team can have the same kind of wow moment the '92 team did? I, I don't know, man. That that was something that was so so kind of special and out of nowhere. If you can just put the greatest dunkers in the dunk tournament or in the dunk contest, I'll call it a win. Yeah, I I would like to see better dunk contests. I mean, when you look back at the old dunk contests, it was great. But um, I was trying. To, I don't think you could do it in basketball. I don't think uh, that there'll be a cultural like wow excitement about basketball like you have with this. I think maybe you could do something in a different sport, but I don't know what it would be. The the only sport that I think you could replicate this would be if all all of a sudden football became a worldwide sport where other countries had pro leagues that were, you know, maybe not NFL level, but close. Uh, Cause I, I feel like the thing that made the dream team so amazing was you, you had some really good other teams. You know, you look at Croatia who they played twice, they had Kukoc and then they had Drazen Petrovic and Raja Barros. So they had three NBA guys, three high level NBA guys uh, that you know, we're, we're, they win the gold medal if, if it's not the dream team, you know, if it's still college kids, it's, it's between the U S and Croatia and it's a really good final. Uh, but there's no, so baseball, other countries have already established themselves and it wouldn't, you know, it, I mean, shoot, did we win the, it meant a lot to me when the Americans won the world baseball classic last time because, but, but that's not a given, right? It's not a given, and that's why it meant a lot to me. Like, we we have always been looked at as the basketball superpower, and the world's definitely caught up, and that's why I don't know if you guys ever wanted to, to discuss 92 versus the 2012 team, but I felt like, I feel like the Americans winning the, the World Baseball Classic was so gratifying because, you know, even Puerto Rico can beat us on a regular basis, you know what I mean? Like, so it's a completely – it's apples to oranges, but it did. I took a lot of personal pride in the United States winning the Baseball Classic. I'm actually surprised. I was going to say, I'm actually surprised to this day that we still have the stars playing in the Olympics that we do, especially with 
the way this season went that we still have some of the high profile players that are playing. Like I'm really surprised it continues to be uh, a draw for some of the superstar talent in the NBA. I think it's more for their brand now. Uh, whereas in 92, it was more about, first of all, it was about going over there and, and dominating everybody. Uh, but also the pride of winning a gold medal and, and for a lot of those guys, their first chance to do it. Whereas now it's, I think it's just about building their brand and, and, and endorsement opportunities. I think it's a financial thing. I think there's guys that are concerned with the, uh, you know, like Carmelo Anthony scoring the most points in Olympic history and stuff like that. I, I think it's a, about a lot more than uh, civic duty and, and loving basketball. So Carmelo tries to claim that having the Olympic gold medals is more than an NBA championship. That's easy to say when you have one and not the other. Yeah, agreed. Um, I would say the same thing as him if I had Olympic gold medals and no NBA championships. I mean, don't don't try to act like you're super patriotic here, Carmelo. It's just it's because you've got one and not the other. Okay, on that point, then, like I think I would say, winning an NBA championship would be a more difficult thing to do than winning an Olympic gold medal as a U.S. Winning an NBA championship to me is harder than winning an Olympic gold if you're an American. Yes. Because the expectation, I mean, we, the expectation minus 2012 is we just run the gauntlet, smoke everybody, and that's the way it is. But to win an NBA championship, just ask LeBron and AD. It is hard, especially to repeat or anything like that. So I think when you look at the greatest players of all time in any sport, we talk about who don't have championships. And I think winning a championship when the best players in the world are in your league, that means more than a worldwide where basketball or baseball or football or anything like that would be secondary or third or whatever down the list. Winning your league championship is more important to me. You know, the only way that I think you can make the gold medal argument is if you win the Olympic gold medal in basketball, that means that you're one of the top 15 guys, not just of that year but of a four-year window essentially so you know uh brian scalabrini has an nba championship and we don't necessarily think of him as the quintessential nba champion but he would never have an opportunity to win a gold medal so that there's a maybe a little bit more cachet with the gold medal because of who's allowed to be on the team uh versus you know, the, the, the last guy on the bench, you know, there's a guy playing in the NBA finals that regardless of who wins is getting a ring. Yeah. Uh, so for him, it wasn't necessarily that hard. Okay. So since Josh brought it up, 2012 team versus 1992 team. So I just want to start off by saying the world had caught up immensely in the 20 years since. And I don't think without the dream team, we have guys like Luka Doncic or Giannis Antetokounmpo but the 2012 team, I think they won one game by four. They won another game by seven. And they just – yeah, the world had caught up. But you're just never going to be able to touch what 92, how special it was and what they did for the game of basketball across the world. So, no, 2012 doesn't compare in my opinion. If you put 2012 versus 92 on an actual court, who wins? Well, Depends 2012 because the, the 92 guys would be in their 60s. Well, I'm now. saying if you could get them, you know, time machine 92 to 2012 or vice versa. Bill and Ted's excellent adventures. Yeah, you could pull that off. Which, which team wins? I'd go 92 because here's the thing about those guys. The mentality is different. 
Jordan still today thinks he could go and get the 96 bulls together and give anybody in the league a run. Uh, so, so, I mean, the mentality of those guys is, you know, the old adage is I'm as good as I once was. I'm not going to say they win 99 out of a hundred, but if you give me a game with everything on the line, I'm going to bet on 92. Cause I'm going to bet on Larry Burr. I'm going to bet on magic Johnson. I'm going to bet on the goat, My, Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah, I think mentality wise and like, you know, work ethic and everything, I give it to 92, but just pure physicality of the players. I would I would think like just pure body size and everything that you that you'd have to think 2012 would have a slight advantage. I think the 92 team might have actually been bigger. Really? Uh than the 12 team. They they were the average height was like 68 and, and like 230 pounds. They they were really big. Uh and that's part of what makes watching those games so clunky. Uh cuz they don't space the floor. That that's what it was hard. I, I said earlier, it was hard to watch the games because of, you know, if you put that team together in 92, the way we put teams together now, it wouldn't be the same team. And they would have killed people by way more because you would have, had, you know, all these guys that could shoot the ball that weren't on the, on the team would have been out there, you know, uh, and they did go a little bit small ball, like, like Chris Mullen played the second most minutes on the team. Uh, because he was a, a stretch four, even though we didn't know that was a thing yet. Um, but, you know, I, I think the way that the dream team played against the 12 team, and, and obviously you can't really compare it that way. The 12 team beats them because they're a better put together team with better spacing, with a better understanding of how basketball can be played efficiently. Uh, but if you gave the, the 92 team the same information, you know, you're talking about, three top six guys of all time. I mean, that that's the, the greatest assimilation uh, of talent I think we've ever seen. And if, if they had the same information, I think they're the better team. I'm never really going to defend the 2012 team because, I, I mean, I love the 92 team. Like, I still have my Jordan Olympic jersey. I still have my Jordan 7s, Olympic 7s. The, the, the thing I keep thinking about, too, and this is what I say about Magic Johnson, you know, we talk about LeBron and what he's done. Magic Johnson was a 6'9 point guard where no point guard today could guard him or match up with him. Don't you think, though, that KD kind of is that, that same style of player now, though? Like, he's tall, lanky, and can play – point guard but he's really a forward he's not gonna guard magic johnson because magic johnson has 75 pounds on him yeah but kevin durant's a much better shooter than magic ever was right that's that's where the 12 team would give him so much trouble is you've got to guard everybody you gotta guard fives i mean you you gotta guard five yeah i got it just for fun here's the 2012 roster durant carmelo lebron kobe kevin love aaron williams uh, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, James Harden, Andre Iguodala, Tyson Chandler, and Anthony Davis. So one true post player, really, because by then, because by then, Love was playing the perimeter. Yeah, they would get destroyed on the inside for sure. But then, can you play Ewing or Robinson, or even Malone, against those guys at the other end? Good question. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna take two to give up three. Yep. And this is the great thing about sports. Like, we'll never know the answer. You can't you can't solve this, but it sure is fun to discuss, right? That's why I hate the goat conversation because I I I will sit here and say, you know, all I can do is based on what my eyes saw, and during my time in my life, I saw Michael Jordan do what nobody else has ever done. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live in my eyes. 
the kids who have never seen Michael Jordan other than replays, I, I don't want your opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think that people, like I know a lot of people think will say our age Larry Bird was great, but I think that Larry Bird also, like the new generation, they don't really understand how good he actually was. Like he looked bad doing it, but he worked hard to, to pull it off. But I think that, because I mean, back then we had Jordan versus Bird was like a game because it was like, who's better, Jordan versus Bird? But now it's like, I don't even know how many people, and I'm not saying, like, I don't want to sit here and make a statement like Larry Bird gets slept on or anything, because that who would say something he like does. that? But like, I don't think people understand how good he was in his prime. I feel like Bird was doing LeBron things before LeBron did them. If you t- statistically, if you look at it, I'm not, com- I'm not comparing their athleticism, just their statistical output when it comes to points, rebounds, and assists. Similar, they were doing similar things. Because Larry did it all. Like, I mean, he, he yeah. was a stat stuffer. Yeah. And he'd beat you left-handed. There was a a Larry Bird quote. There was a Larry Bird quote. I think it was in 80, going into the 87 or 88 season, uh, where they asked him about his conditioning coming into the year. And he said that he was really working hard to get into shape for the season. He switched to light beer. (laughs) And and that was not a joke. So, you know, I, I always tell the kids, like, when you look at the Larry Bird numbers, think about that too that his idea of an off-season conditioning regimen was switching from Bud Diesel to Bud Light. Hey, the hick from French Lick, baby. We'll take him. Yeah. That reminds me I need to go on homage and buy that shirt before they sell out of it. <laughs> well, I, I just I just got back from vacation with Chap, and I just want everyone to know, unrelated, but he's got the meanest shirt game in the game. This guy's got shirts out the yang, and they're the, he's, the, the slogans on them just have me rolling all week down in Atlanta, man. So, Chap, shirt game, 100. So props to homage because John got me turned on to him and the material is ridiculously soft. They have great shirts and uh, yeah, my shirt game is strong because of them. Yeah. Uh, we're not sponsored by them or anything. We'd love to be sponsored by homage. God, <laughs> I just take like a free shirt a month or something because I spend so much, money. but like their, their shirts, they're the softest shirts, the most comfortable shirts you've ever worn. And I got to say, you know, thank you to, to, to Drew and Josh for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure, especially to see you, Drew. I don't see you enough. Um, and, and Sig, I, I, it's going to be five years till we see each other again. So this might have to be what does it. But uh, I enjoyed our vacation together, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you soon. It's been a pleasure and honor, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me on. And I've told Chap this, but, but Teach, I really enjoy the show. Uh, it's really fun going back to the '90s and and uh, even the the episodes that I don't know anything about are are a lot of fun. The uh, the the video the arcade games episode. I was never an arcade games guy, and now I'm like trying to figure out how I can get down to Tappers to check that place. Oh out. man! Uh, okay, so, you know, really... first of all, if you're swinging through, you gotta stop. We're gonna go together. You you gotta stop in and okay. see me, man. And we'll we'll roll to Tappers together. You know you got a place to crash at uh, Costa de Chap. Maybe we'll have I, a yeah. I've seriously been. Maybe we'll have a uh, a '90s take me back to the '90s meetup day one day, and we'll all go to Tappers. We'll just invite the, all our fans and everybody go to Tappers, and uh, drinks are on. Got to make sure you invite Doc Walk. Yeah, Doc will get <laughs> in. I will just if say that Chaps uh, Chaps uh, guest bed is awfully comfy, and he has Netflix in there, uh, Eubanks. So you you need to hit him up on that. And his wife makes a okay. mean ham. I'm in. Oh, hey, I, I, speaking of shirts, you guys check out my, my 90s NBA shirt. That is very 90s, yeah. Very I feel like that's on a Reggie Miller poster somewhere. It probably is. And that is an homage shirt. It is. 
Yeah, you can tell. Um, thanks, guys, for being here. Love it. Uh, to all everybody listening, I hope you're enjoying season two. Chap and I are so happy to be back at it. We're back to, you know, glad to be at a point in our lives where we're not so stressed out that it was like it felt like a chore. So uh, this is honestly a joy. I really appreciate Drew and Josh being here. Uh, tune in next time. I don't know what we're talking about yet, but we're going to have something good. If you got suggestions, let us know on Twitter or however you want to get a hold of us. Let us know what you'd like to hear. If you want to be a guest on the show and talk about something with us, just throw it out there. Me and Chap, we might say no. If it's a stupid idea, we might tell you that's a stupid idea. But if it's good, we'll probably do it. So uh, anyway, thanks again for tuning in. We'll chat, uh, check up with everybody later and see you soon. Bye-bye.